This program has been made possible through the support of Cruise, driving cities forward through their autonomous vehicle development. Learn more about how Cruise is transforming the future of transportation through improving our cities by building safe, shared, and all-electronic self-driving cars. Visit them online at getcruise.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome everyone and wish you a good evening, afternoon, morning, depending what time zone you're listening to us. My name is Gene Lozano. I'm a longtime member of the Environmental Access Committee. And on behalf of the Environmental Access and Transportation Committees, I wish to welcome you to our second session of a five-series sessions that comprises our pedestrian and transportation track for this year's conference and convention. The title of our session is To Cross or Not to Cross, Strategies and Considerations for Crossing where there is no signal or stop sign. For those of you who are signed up for continued education credits, I wish to give you the opening CEU code, which is 22055. I'll repeat that again. It is 22055. To take care of a few housekeeping matters, I wish to thank the media people for putting us online on uh, Media One. Thank you very much. We are very excited at being able to provide this presentation to you with the hope that you will acquire new strategies or update your existing strategies that will assist you in determining more effective methods for making that decision when it is safe to make a crossing where there are no signals. We are honored to have Ms. Donna Sauenberger, who is one of this country's leading researchers on orientation and mobility matters. Ms. Sauenberger has been providing orientation and mobility training for more than 50 years, specializing in crossing streets with no traffic control devices. She has a Master's of Art in Blind Rehabilitation with a concentration in Orientation and Mobility from Western Michigan University, a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology from the University of Pittsburgh, and She is a certified orientation mobility specialist. During these many years that she has been training people with vision loss in their mobility, Ms. Salenberger has contributed significantly to the advancement of her specialty, street crossing, to the following activities. Having conducted national and international workshops, written articles and self-study guides, co-authored a chapter for a major orientation mobility textbook, 
and has participated in numerous groundbreaking research studies. So that you can see from this that she has contributed a great deal and has a lot to offer us this afternoon. I've been around the block. Um, so with, I wish to ask you to please join me in welcoming Ms. Donna Stellenberger as our presenter, and I hope you enjoy this session. And at the end of it, the last five minutes, I will provide some concluding comments. And for those with seeking the closing uh, code, they will be provided at that time. Thank you, and Donna, it's yours. Thank you, Jean. I am actually part of a team. I would like to introduce the other uh, team members. Uh, we have Susan Kenyatti and Anthony Landolotti. So Susan, could you introduce yourself, please? Hello, everybody. My name is Susan Kenyatti, a student from Sanas University doing my orientation and mobility course uh, training to become orientation and mobility instructor. And Anthony? Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, Great to be here. My name is Anthony Lanzalotti. I'm from New Jersey. I am a student, a political science major at Stockton University uh, with a minor in disability studies and also a degree in uh, criminal justice with aspirations of going on to law school to become an attorney. I've been blind since birth. We got to meet Anthony when he would take a train from New Jersey to Maryland for his orientation mobility sessions. And actually, I've lost count, but I think this is the, the fifth or sixth time that we've done this together. And the first four or five times, it was talking to orientation mobility specialists because Anthony was learning and Susan and I were teaching street crossings during the pandemic when we were all in our own homes or when we would get together, we had to stay six feet apart. I have in my car a six foot pole so that we could be in contact with each other and we had to learn how to speak really loud. Anthony, do you hear anything? <clears throat> yeah, I hear something. What did you say? So the first four or five sessions were on how does an orientation mobility specialist teach street crossings during the pandemic? And I'm so pleased that this is the second time we, we also did this to talk with the California American Council for the Blind of the Blind. So this time we've settled down, the pandemic is over, and now we're going to talk about how the heck do you get, you know, learned to be crossing streets where there is no traffic control. Let's get started. And first thing I want to do is say that this is dedicated to Dick and Lorraine Evenson, who were killed, it's been about 30, 31 years ago now. No, I see from the dates, it's more like 34 years ago that they were killed crossing where there is no traffic control. And this inspired me. They both were colleagues and friends of ours. So it inspired me to look into this and to see, realize that the way we're teaching just wasn't really meeting the needs in the current environment. So Dick and Lorraine, thank you. We're doing this in your honor. Today, we're going to talk about uncontrolled crossings and what the heck are they and how the heck are you supposed to cross them? And then what kind of conditions or skills do you need to be able to cross them? Can you improve the skills that you need to cross them? And how can you figure out if you have the conditions that you need? And if we have time, I wanna talk about how to assess the risks for crossing when you don't have those conditions that you need for crossing. So let's talk about, first of all, what the heck are uncontrolled crossings? 
I was going to be able to see the audience, but I can't see the audience. So I guess we're on equal terms here, guys. So I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and and share what is your understanding of what we're talking about? What kind of street crossings are we talking about here? Ray, what are uncontrolled crossings that we're talking about? I think uncontrolled crossings, they would be an intersection where, and either an intersection where you don't have any sort of traffic control whatsoever, stop sign or stop light or whatever, or it would be a crossing, say, in the middle of a block where mm. there's a crosswalk. I love it. Okay. Well, there are intersections that have no traffic control. There's no stop sign. I mean, way out in the boonies, I, I've, I've run across two or three in my lifetime where, you know, it's just in such an isolated place. Everybody understands you're on your own. You've got to figure out who's going to have the right of way because two or three cars a year come by. And so when that happens at the same time, they have to figure it out. Almost all intersections have some kind of traffic control. And what we're talking about is when, let's say, it's an intersection that has two stop signs for the side street the drivers who come up on the side street have a stop sign before they come up to the main street. So that's an intersection that has traffic control. It's got stop signs for one of the streets, but if you turn and cross the other street, there's no stop sign. There's no traffic signal. So that's what we're talking about is crossing where there's a stop sign maybe for the street beside you, but nothing for the street that you want to cross. There are other situations that are like that, such as roundabouts, um, there's no signal. There's no stop sign. There is a yield sign and there's like little paint mm -hmm. on the crosswalk if you're lucky. And they're also, when you're at a signalized intersection, you know, where there's a traffic signal, green and red lights for the drivers. Sometimes they'll, they'll have the right turn lane cut through the, the curb, you know, so that the corner is sort of on an island and there's a separate right turning lane. Mm -hmm. That also has no traffic control because the drivers that go through that right turn lane that's separate from the rest of the intersection, they don't have to pay any attention to that signal. So that's another uncontrolled crossing. But most of the time what we're talking about is an intersection with two stop signs mm -hmm. for one of the streets and you want to cross the other street, the one that has no stop sign. So that's what we're talking about. Pam Coffee had her hand up and I missed it. Okay, so Pam. I just wanted to echo what Ray said. Sometimes these situations are very complicated. For instance, I live on a cul-de-sac. That one's no problem. If I need to cross that street, it's very quiet. There's very little traffic. It's just the people that live in this complex or occasionally a postal or the dumpster. And I make sure I'm not out when those are coming. But it intersects with a street that is a bit more heavily traveled and there's no traffic signal. And then in addition to that, there are a bunch of streets that merge on the other side of this street that's a little mm. more heavily traveled. Mm. And then there's a major highway. So if I'm trying to cross the street that intersects with mine, in yes. the first place, there's no guarantee I've got to walk a straight line. And there's no traffic signal because they merge at sort of a weird angle. Or and stop sign, right? There's no stop sign either, right? That's correct. That's mm -hmm. correct. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to wait for a moment when there is no traffic, <clears throat> period. And that just almost never happens. 
And it's yeah. just one huge frustration. Yeah. You raised two things so beautifully. First of all, my next question was be once you find, you know, if you're at one of these situations where there's no stop sign, there's no signal. And uh, as she says, the cars are just coming, you know, without having to stop or anything on the street that you're wanting to cross. How do you know when to cross? You know, how do you know when's the right time to cross? And she mentioned um, waiting till there's no traffic coming. And at that situation, uh, it sounds like at certain times of the day, there's always traffic coming. <laughs> so, so that's number one. But number two, sometimes there is no traffic coming, but how can you know that there's no traffic coming? What do you, if you're using your hearing, for example, to cross, what would be your cue that there's no traffic coming? Hi, I'm in Hawaii. So in Hawaii. my question is, yes, I am. Yes, I moved here about a year Pam had mentioned talk, uh, crossing when there's no, no traffic coming. It's all clear. And I'm wondering, what is the cue to know that it's all clear? Well, that's what I was going to get to. It's mm-hmm. hard because the, the cars are quiet. Some of the cars you can't even hear, and I almost got hit because a car came around the corner very quiet, and I was actually with a sighted person. She didn't hear the car either, and we almost got hit. AOA, I'm so oh. sorry I almost cut you off. <laughs> you just raised the big issue. I was hoping somebody would say, oh, you wait till it's all quiet. And But AOA, you <laughs> have just told me about a situation when, I'm assuming that when you didn't hear it, it was quiet. Not the car was quiet, but the, the situation was quiet. And this car yeah. came out of the blue from nowhere, and you couldn't hear it until Turned it was the so corner. close. It was going on a right-hand turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And I was at a crosswalk. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. So that way has just raised the big issue, the big issue, capital T, capital B, capital I, the big issue. You need, in order for you to know that it's clear that there's no traffic coming, you have to have enough warning about the approaching vehicles. And let me say that again, because if you leave with nothing else, what AOA has just brought up is that in situations where you don't have enough warning, they're just popping up on you. And I'm assuming that that wasn't the only car she didn't hear until the last minute, that everyone coming around that corner were not able to be heard until it was too late. You need enough warning. Let me just ask one more question. How much warning time would you need? Let's say it takes you seven seconds to cross. How much warning time would you need from all the approaching vehicles to be able to be confident that it's clear? Carla? I think it would depend on the, the length of the intersection, but I'll tell you, it's beautiful. It's a problem because before we were always taught to listen for parallel traffic back in the 70s. And then all of a sudden, right on red came. Then all of a sudden. Oh, you're talking about a signal. That's a signal. And we're talking about where there's no signal. There's yeah, no right on red. There's no red. There's no green. But I was just getting to that. I live yes. in the country. I literally walk on the berms of the road. We don't have sidewalks. Yeah. And yeah. the good thing is there's not as many cars. So I can hear the, the wheels of a quiet car on the on the pavement. But when you're in the city, it could just they're so insidious. I call them killer cars. And this is why we really need to advocate for the sound. But I would say you need, it would depend on the length of the intersection. Is it Exactly. Not? The length of the crossing. It That's depends on your crossing time, doesn't it? Yeah. Carla, you nailed it. The warning time that you need 
is at least as much as long as your crossing time. If it takes you seven seconds to cross and you can't hear them, as Carla said, in the city, and I'll explain why in a minute, why you can't hear them in the city when it's quiet, when you can hear them in the country when it's quiet. Um, if you can't hear them when it's quiet until they're less than seven seconds away, then as you're standing there, you still can't hear them. They're close enough to reach you, but not close enough for you to hear them. And you're thinking, sweet, I have some quiet, nobody's coming. And there might be a car or vehicle that's coming that's going to reach you. And you don't know it because the warning time for that car or vehicle is less than your crossing time. So you need to be in a situation where the warning time of the approaching vehicles is less than your crossing time. And Carla, I'm so glad you pointed out that out in the country, you can hear them a mile away. Out in the city, I've been in New York and sometimes they're passing in front of me and I don't know it. I can't hear them at all. And that's yes, because they're masked because of the other noises of the other. Well, vehicles. in a way, yeah. But the sound level, they measured about 40, 50 years ago now, they measured the sound level of quiet in, I think, 20 or 30 communities. One was a farm next to the Grand Canyon, and one was in New York City. And they noticed that in each case, their little sound level meter would rise up. If a dog barked or a car went by, it would go up and come back down. And then some, another sound, it would go up and come back down. And when it came back down, it always came back down to the same level. And they called that the residual sound level. And you and I would call that the sound level of quiet. So the sound level of quiet, if you can imagine at the farm next to the Grand Canyon, was really low. The sound level of quiet in New York City was extremely high. It's measured in decibels so that it's exponential, or I forget how you, how you say it, but it could be four to six times as loud at quiet as it is in the country. Let's just sit on that and think about a minute because the warning time is what we're looking for. And in certain situations, the warning time can be long enough that you're confident if you hear nothing coming, it's clear to cross. At other times, the warning time can be so short that even when it's quiet, you don't know if something's coming or not. We call that a situation of uncertainty. You never know if it's clear or not. So we're going to let you think about that a minute, because that's the whole crux of this whole thing, is that you need to be able to recognize, and Carla and Eriona have mentioned how unsettling would be putting it mildly, it is when they find themselves in what we now call a situation of uncertainty, meaning you don't know if it's clear or not. You don't know if a vehicle is coming or not. And because you guys have raised such beautiful situations and described so beautifully how scary, how unsettling it is, I'm going to bump up and make sure that we have time to do our last activity, which is assessing the level of risk in these situations. But first, we're going to have some fun because we know that you can increase that warning time if you can improve your ability to hear, listen for approaching vehicles, or if you're using your vision, be able to look, improve your ability to see further and more reliably. So Susan, why don't you get started on our adventures with learning to hear 
this is how we started with Anthony, teaching him how to listen to approaching vehicles. We were outside there at the street and uh, me and Donna, we were standing there and Anthony too. And Anthony was not hearing vehicles the same time Donna and I were hearing the vehicles. And from there we said, now there is a problem here. He had the vehicles less than two seconds, one second, three seconds. And that's when we decided to go and use a APH program, which was to practice to help Anthony to hear those cars sooner. And the APM program helps to increase warning time for approaching vehicle, which we did. And we practiced really well. And then I was able to help Anthony to identify the sound he was hearing by focusing and tuning to it so as to hear it sooner. So, and I would ask us, Anthony, what are you hearing? And he would tell me, I can hear something. And I was like, focus on that. And he was able to do that. And to tell you, Andon improved how improved on how well he could hear cars approaching. And he did a great job noticing the sound of approaching vehicle. And when we went back to the street this time, he was able to hear the cars coming the same time Donna and I was hearing the cars approaching. And that to tell, was, to tell you it was really powerful and it helped Anthony and us as we were standing there. He could hear it several seconds sooner than he had before. Anthony, you want to tell us about your experience with that? Yeah, um, it was very, it was a great experience. My thing, I had to learn how, prior to, I listened, but I had to learn how to listen. That was a big factor. Not only what to listen for, but how to listen and how to focus in on that distinct sound. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Susan. All right. And I hear what everybody's thinking. I forgot to tell you guys, I'm a mind reader and I'm so sorry because I do kind of invade people's privacy because I know what you're thinking. Donna, all well and good. I can improve my hearing. I can improve my vision, but I'm telling you, Donna, it ain't gonna, <laughs> there's still gonna be situations where I just can't tell what's going on. And so let's take a look in um, situations like that because you are so right. This is a situation where it's a residential street. It was the quietest when the sound level of quiet was the lowest that we could find in our research. We did our, some of our research here. And we had uh, 21 blind people, not at the same time, of course, but in twos and threes, listening for vehicles. And well, let's just see what happens here. We are looking at a two-lane, very quiet residential street, which has a sharp <clears throat> to the right. It takes seven seconds to cross here. We can hear a car approaching. Now. It arrives. Now. That was five seconds of warning time. Which, needless to say, is not enough. It took seven seconds across. You couldn't hear that one. And some of the subjects, even the ones with the most acute hearing, could not hear them coming around that corner, um, like AOA had explained, until they were four seconds away. Now, many of them, they could hear much further than that. I want to point out that in our research, is everybody sitting down? If somebody's not sitting down, please sit down for this, because it's going to kind of blow your mind. We measured, as the cars came by, how loud those cars were. And then we compared, we measured at another crossing where 
we could hear them, you know, it was a straight shot. There was no bend. We could hear them from a, quite a distance. There was no relationship between how loud the car was and how much warning time it gave. Does that kind of blow your mind? We had to kind of look, check our figures. Wait a minute, that can't be right. And even speed, it had a slight effect, but almost no effect with the speed. So if you can imagine a fast, quiet car sometimes gave more warning than a slow, loud truck. That kind of blew our minds. So when I hear people saying cars are quieter now, well, that's true. That's one big part of the problem. But once a car is going about 20 miles an hour, the electric cars sound the same as, as the ones with the combustible engines, because you're not hearing their engines anymore. You're hearing the noise of the tires on the road and, and the wind. So it doesn't really matter. But I want to assure you, there are situations where you do have enough warning. And I'm going to show this. Um, the road is actually about the same width as that little residential one, but it's divided into three lanes. They've got a lane to pull over and, and get into my, my neighborhood. So it's a, it's, a, it's a rural kind of a little highway, uh, byway or whatever. And um, let's take a look, because this actually is a situation where there was enough warning I sat here in my lawn chair and between telling the neighbors what I'm doing, I listened to the approach of 35 vehicles from each direction. And each one, I heard at least seven seconds long, many of them 12, 14, 20 seconds from when I heard them till when they arrived. And it takes seven seconds to cross here. So let's take a look at what this looks like. There is again, a bend in the road under the right, the cars are going sometimes 50, 55 miles an hour, and yet there was enough warning. So let's see what happens. So some cars are receding. It's starting to get quiet. Nothing's coming from either direction that we can see. It just got quiet. I hear a car from the right. Now we can't see the car yet. It's not, it's still past the bend. We can't see it until now and if you had imagined starting to cross when i first heard it that looks kind of scary doesn't it <laughs> it was probably going a good 50 55 miles an hour but it was oh, i forgot to write my notes here i think it was about 15 12 or 15 seconds um, from when i first heard it to when it arrived which means that if i had started to cross before i heard it while it was still quiet I would make it to the other side. So that car gave me plenty of warning. And like I said, I was there for a long time and there was plenty of warning. So in that situation, it's a situation of confidence. I wanna emphasize that those of you who use your vision, please learn to use it most efficiently. I'm gonna give a little example here of a woman who has uh, restricted visual fields. And we found that she was able to see in the distance fine when she's looking steady in both directions. So there's plenty of warning, but people who use their vision can't do like people who use their hearing and just listen and watch in both directions at the same time. We have to turn our heads. And people with uh, restricted visual fields, severely restricted, like five to 10 degrees of visual field, they need to slow down how they look. And so I'm gonna show this video of this woman I've got her, I've got earphones on because I don't want her to hear the car. I want to make sure she sees the car. She's looking straight forward. I'm going to tap her when I know that there's a car that's in a difficult place to see. And for people with this eye condition, the difficult place to see is right, just a few car lengths to their left. 
And that's right where if they didn't see it and they step out, as one of my clients almost did, which is how I learned about this, they won't be able to stop. So let's see what happens. I'm going to tap her when I want her to turn to look. She's going to turn to look and tell us when she sees a car. There's a car coming and I tap her now. Two cars passing. Two cars passing. So when I tapped you, mm -hmm. there were some cars there. Did you see those cars? Nope. You never saw any cars? Nope. Okay, so that means that you were looking too quick. Okay. okay. You're going to have to go slow enough to, to see those ones mm -hmm. that are near to you. Okay. So we're going to try it again. I wait until a car's coming in the bad spot. I tap her. She sees that car. And the car that's in the How many cars did you see? Two. You saw two. You... Wonderful. Now, again, I hope you're sitting down or have something to relax you because even if you maximize the warning time with the vision or the hearing, mm -hmm. there are still situations of uncertainty. Crossings can have situations of uncertainty at some times and not at others. What make a difference? What might make it so that you can hear fine at some, you know, when it's quiet, you can hear with plenty of warning at some times and at other times at that same crossing, you can't hear them with enough warning, even when it's quiet. What might make a difference? And you can talk. What would make it easier to hear? What might make it so that one day you come there and you can't hear, you know, you listen and you're just not hearing with enough warning because by the time you hear them, they're too close. They're too, you know, they're almost there. And at other times at the same crossing, when it's quiet, you can hear with plenty of warning. And why don't we call, if you don't know, why don't we call on somebody who thinks they know maybe why that okay. might be. Thanks, Peggy. And sometimes, you know, I went to one crossing. I was looking for a good example of one where you had plenty of warning. And I went there at night and I could hear plenty far away. And I came there the next morning with my students and we couldn't hear and with enough warning. And then I realized the night before the roads were wet. So I was hearing them from quite a distance because, you know, when the roads are wet, you can hear them on the, on the road. I told you that at some places like New York City, the sound level of quiet is very high. At other places like next to the Grand Canyon, the sound level of quiet is very low. But I forgot to tell you, everywhere, that sound level of quiet changes so that the sound level quiet at four o'clock in the afternoon is about four times as noisy as the sound level of quiet at four o'clock in the morning. Another thing that can change is that maybe you can hear fine, you hear plenty of warning, and the next day you come and you think, something's funky here that I'm not hearing from the right. Oh, there's a parked truck that wasn't there yesterday. So there's something can be blocking it temporarily. The uh, trees in the summer can reflect or some leaves reflect, some leaves absorb sounds. So that may sound very different. You may be able to hear with a different warning um, in the summer than you do in the winter. And also cold and hot air. I forget which one transfer is better. But let me just show you a crossing where Gordon Parks was killed. This was right outside uh, Philadelphia. And I went there a couple weeks after he was killed and, and we're looking at another highway like the one in front of my neighborhood. It's about two lanes with a shoulder uh, where cars can park. 
And he would cross here a couple times a week with his guide dog. And he usually got help from the, the mechanics there. And it, we're looking at a driveway. And right on, on the other side of the driveway is the mechanics um, car repair place. So he usually got help, but this day he didn't. And so I went there and I recorded this at a four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. And let's see what happens. I see nothing coming. Quiet. Or as quiet as it gets there. I see nothing coming. Oh, I heard something. I heard something. And it arrives now. And that was a pickup truck. He was killed by a pickup truck. So I had four seconds of warning of that vehicle at that time when it was quiet. I went there the next day on Saturday at about eight o'clock. I could hear them several blocks away. I heard them with plenty of warning. The sound level of quiet had changed. When I went back there at eight o'clock at night, the sound level of quiet was so much less than the sound level of quiet when I was recording this, which was probably true when, when uh, Gordon made his crossing. So just because you assess a crossing and figure, oh, sweet, I've got plenty of warning time. It may not be true at another time of day. It may not be true at another time of year. So you need to kind of take a look at this. So learning the effects of masking sounds, learning how to compare the warning time of approaching vehicles to crossing time, and draw a conclusion about whether you can be confident takes some training. And I'm going to take some time to just show you a video of a young man. Um, he is actually learning to be a mobility instructor, so he's got a blindfold on. And he is learning to compare his the warning time of approaching vehicles with his crossing time. And he has a little lesson in masking sounds. Let me tell you, the ultimate purpose of this was to have him listen for an approaching vehicle when quiet. Tell me when he first detects it. I measure how much time from when he heard it or when he thought he heard it until it arrives, he has to then tell me, was that less than his crossing time, more than his crossing time, about the same as his crossing time? And then he's supposed to listen for enough vehicles from both directions and figure out, first of all, he has to be able to tell, is he getting enough warning from those vehicles? And then he has to be able to put it together to say, how many vehicles do I need to listen to before I can be confident that this is a situation where I have enough warning, at least right now, at this time of day. So let's see how his training is going. So your crossing time was, Crossing time was six and a half uh, seconds. And from the right and from the left. So from the left, the crossing time is going to be half as much because he, he needs to get halfway across the street the to get out of their way. So be, the crossing time for half the street is three and a half seconds. Okay, tell me when, you, when it gets quiet, tell me when you think you hear something that might be a vehicle, um, and then and, you know, don't wait until you're sure uh, it is, and then um, then when it passes, tell me if you think that's a vehicle. I hear a car. Notice it was not quiet when you heard it. Not at all. Well, it was Good five and a half. Um, I'm wondering um, when you heard it. Was it quiet? Um, I, I know cars were leaving. Cars were leaving. Yeah. It in some situations, um, 
that's fine. You know, you can still hear them. In other situations, just that little sound of the receding car can keep you from hearing it. So we really don't know yet when it's quiet. Can you hear them well enough? Because that one was not heard when it was quiet. Okay. But good, good job on guessing that it wasn't enough time because that wasn't. Here, the car. Nice. Was it quiet when you heard it? Yes. Yeah. All right, so you can imagine you just started to cross before you heard it. So he has to imagine. He's not counting. He's trying to imagine. If he started to cross before he heard it, was that enough for him? <laughs> yes, you could get over there and come back and have a cup of coffee. Yeah, that was 15 seconds, almost 16. Wow, we heard that way further. Oh, and, and wow, did you notice we didn't hear this one until yeah. it was so close? What's going on? Why, why did we hear that one way out there? The masking. The masking, the one that we, that we timed, you know, at first was still receding. So, yeah, it has to get quiet. Yeah. Is it quiet? Good. So he's learning to know it when quiet? it's quiet and when there's a masking sound. It's getting close. I want to say it's quiet now. Very good. Your car, my right. Nice. I'm not sure it's actually coming, but I'm really glad you reported it because that is the kind of training that can help you be alert for what some of the things that um, some of you have already mentioned that you notice that it's not enough warning time. And so you can kind of refine your skill to recognize when you're not getting enough warning time and when you are. What you can do is go to your orientation mobility specialist for some training. And I will tell you that some are prepared to do this and some may need a little bit of help. If your mobility instructor is not sure how to train you for that, there are two sources of information for them. And you can also go on these sources and learn a little bit more yourself. So one of them is an online self-study guide. One is a program that Susan had mentioned, the American Printing House for the Blind, APH software. So the one that's online, it's at www.sauerberger.org. www.sauerberger.org forward slash Donna forward slash cross credit because they can take this course and get five hours of credit for free towards their recertification. Let me read that again. www.sauerburger is spelled like sauerkraut, S-A-U-E-R, burger like hamburger, B-U-R-G-E-R. So it's www.sauerburger.org forward slash, my name just has one N, D-O-N-A, forward slash cross credit. Help yourself to go in there and just explore and look around. There's lots of videos, lots of uh, information um, that might be interesting for you. And the other one is the APH uh, program that uh, Susan had described. I just want to stop sharing for a minute. We're going to look at the next thing, which is, all right, what do you find yourself in a situation as several of you already have, and you don't have enough warning? How do you analyze what is the risk and is that risk acceptable? And what can you do about it if it's not all looking at alternatives? And I'll just tell you just a quick story. My husband's cousin was blind and had a friend who lived outside of Pittsburgh and was crossing in this kind of a situation every day, coming home from work, uh, many, many, many years with her guide dog. And uh, this time she was without her guide dog and got hit. She was okay after, well, she wasn't okay. She was not no longer able to walk as well as she did before. So it was serious injury. She retired as a result, but she at least was alive. 
and I asked her, I said, I thought maybe this was a situation of uncertainty. And so I said, were there times when you started to cross and you were surprised? Oh yeah, my, my dog would pull me back. I thought, oh, we had a situation of uncertainty. And I went out to there and I found out that at that time of day, it wasn't a situation of uncertainty, but it was like one of you had explained, it almost never got quiet. But when it did get quiet, the first vehicle I heard when quiet was heard with enough warning. But if there was any masking sound, it wasn't. And I asked her when I first met her, I, she said, I learned to cross when quiet. I learned it in the 1960s and that's what I was taught and that I would very much do it. And I thought, well, if she's crossing when quiet, why is she being surprised like that? And so I had her come back and I said, tell me when it's quiet. And she said it was quiet, just like uh, the young student did when there was still cars receding. And so I picture she gets off the bus, a noisy bus. She walks up, you know, 20 feet to the corner. The bus is still taken off and she waits until it gets kind of quiet, but not really quiet. And she was crossing when it wasn't quiet, when there's masking sounds. So even when you have a situation where you can be confident to cross when quiet, you need to know what quiet means and not assume that, oh, quiet enough. Sometimes it is quiet enough, but you need to learn to assess that with this training. If we're going to give Jean five minutes to wrap it up, I'm not going to open it up for questions right now. I'm going to go into the next part, which I think is something that a lot of you wanted to talk about. You're in a situation of uncertainty, and now what? Let's analyze the risk of crossing, and then what do you do if the risk is too much? So we're going to assess a crossing in a situation of uncertainty. What I'm going to do is show you a scenario. And we're going to assess the risk of crossing there. And we're going to look at four things. One of which is, do you have the right of way to cross there? Because if you're in a situation of uncertainty, it means you may be crossing when there's a car coming that's going to have to yield to you. And not that this has any effect on how likely it is to yield to you. But when my husband's cousin's friend was hit, she didn't know if she had the right of way to cross there. Her lawyer said she did. And I'm thinking, well, that would be a good thing to know before you even consider crossing, especially if you're in a situation of uncertainty. Again, this has no effect on the risk, but it's just a consideration. So you might be surprised to know what is considered um, legal and what is not. So take a look at the laws in your state as to where pedestrians have the right of way to cross and where pedestrians with white canes have the right of way to cross. The other three things to look at, if you're in a situation where you don't have enough warning, you can't be sure that it's going to be clear to cross, and you might have to rely on a driver to stop for you, you're going to first of all consider how likely is there going to be a car coming or a vehicle coming that you didn't know. You think it's quiet. Well, it is quiet. You think it's clear, and it's not. How likely is it happened that it's not clear? So how likely is a car coming, a vehicle coming? If a vehicle does come, how likely is it it's going to hit you? And if a vehicle does come and it does hit you, how likely is it you're going to be seriously injured or killed? So we're going to show you a scenario. And I'm going to ask you to consider these things. We're going to go through the checklist real quickly first so that you know what to look for. When I pull this off, I'm going to ask somebody to volunteer to analyze this situation with me. So the first thing, as I said, how likely are you going to be surprised? The things to consider there are you're going to be less likely to be surprised if there's not much traffic coming. You know, if there's only one car a year, the likelihood that that car is coming that day is not 
as high as it is if there's cars, lots of traffic, and it gets quiet for a minute, the chance that a car is coming is much higher if there's a lot of cars than if there's only one car a year. The second thing to look at is how much warning are you getting? If you're in New York and you have no warning at all, the chances of you being surprised by a vehicle when you think it's clear is much higher than when you're out on the farm by the uh, Grand Canyon and you have plenty of warning. Those are the two things to look at. So I'm gonna be asking you to look at that in the scenario, how much traffic is there in this scenario. The second thing to look at is if there is a car coming, how likely is it that it's going to hit you? And these depend on things such as, is there more than one lane coming towards you? If so, that's how Dick and Lorraine were killed. The driver in the lane that they were in slowed down to stop for them. The guy behind him pulled around and hit them and Dick's guide dog and killed them all. So if there's more than one lane coming, uh, it's called a multiple threat, then it's going to be more likely that you're going to be hit. The speed of the drivers is important. Research shows that if the driver, and we're talking about the same driver, we're not talking about drivers who like to speed versus drivers who like to drive slow. We're talking about the same driver who happens to be going slow is more likely to stop for you than that same driver who happens to be going fast when he sees you, she sees you. So speed of the drivers is going to affect how likely it is going to hit you. Expectations, if the drivers are not expecting anybody there, they're more likely to hit you than if they're expecting drivers. If the visibility is good, like they're, you know, they're not coming around a bend or you're not hiding behind a tree, and then if it's daytime or the lighting is good and you're in bright clothing, the visibility is good, they're less likely to hit you than if they can't see you. If the road conditions are poor, they're more likely to hit you than if the road conditions are good. Like if it's slippery and icy or slick with rain, um, even if they want us to stop, then there's a chance they won't be able to. If you're with a group of pedestrians, they're more likely to stop you than if you're alone. All this is based on research, by the way. We're not just, oh, well, you know, I think they're likely. This is all based on research. If you're waiting with a foot in the street, research shows that they're more likely to stop for you than if you're waiting back on the curb. If you're using a cane, and I was involved in the research that we found this, Poor Gene had to cross the street. I forget how many dozens of times he had to walk into the path of oncoming cars or trucks. And when he was not using a cane, 40% of them stopped for him. And uh, if they hadn't stopped and he had not stopped, they would have hit him. We set it up so that they knew if they didn't stop and he didn't stop, they were going to hit him. And 40% of them stopped. 60% of them did not. But when he was using a cane, 90% of them stopped. By the way, when he was wearing an orange vest, it was the same as if he had not been wearing a vest. So don't be under the delusion that wearing an orange vest helps you unless except the fact that it makes you more visible, but it does not make them less likely to hit you given that they can see you. And um, the last thing is, if they do hit you, how likely it is that uh, you're going to be seriously injured or killed? And that depends on the speeds. I have a little chart here showing, and this is all on that website I told you about at www.sauerberger.org forward slash Donna forward slash cross credit. It's all on there. So let's look at the scenario. This is a two lane street. It takes seven seconds to cross. I was doing this with a woman who took seven seconds to cross and to the right, we can see a little bit of a hill 
so that they can still see her, but maybe not, maybe they can see her head, but not down below. They may not be able to see that she's got a cane. And she was able to detect them about five seconds away or more. So almost enough, but not quite. So let's take a look. You're looking at the speed, the volume of traffic, et cetera. And then we're gonna analyze how likely is it you're gonna be seriously injured or killed if you cross in this situation. So we see nothing coming. Oh, I'm sorry, there's a car coming up from the right, coming up over the hill. There's a second one from the right. I don't know, maybe 30 miles an hour. Nothing from the left, another one from the right, and now no more from the right. And we hear the cars receding, but there's no more coming from the left either. Nothing coming from either direction. There's a car coming from the left. Two cars coming from the left. And they're going a little faster. And then a car from the right, again, going at a good clip, maybe 35 miles an hour. Hmm. And then nothing, nothing from the left. Nothing from the right. Someone's coming out of the car, uh, the street beside us and turning away from us. Nothing from the right, nothing from the left. Nothing, nothing. I don't know if that's someone on the video or someone in the audience saying they can hear a car. Yeah, there is a lot of noise going on. There is a car, a truck now coming from the right. Yep. Another two, he was, he was going slow, so there were two cars behind him coming from the right. And we're not asking you to assess whether you have enough warning here, whether you can hear them well enough. We're, I'm telling you that you can't, um, but we're assessing how much risk is there of crossing. And another car came out of the street beside us and turned away. Okay, now we're gonna look at the uh, our little chart. I'd like to have a volunteer to work with me, so let me stop sharing and ask if we can have a volunteer to help assess the risk of crossing here for this person who okay, needs seven. Judy, Dix Judy Dixon has her hand up and I'm gonna ask you- Judy Dixon! And I don't know if she has, wants to do this or not because she's had her hand up. I don't care if she wants to do it, <laughs> she's gonna do it. Judy's Hi, one Judy. of my favorite people. I haven't seen you in decades, Judy. Oh my gosh. If anybody can assess risk, it's I Judy. I'd be happy what to a it. treat to hear from you. <laughs> Good wow. to hear from you too. <laughs> so we have about five minutes to assess this situation. The first one is, how likely is it that you're going to be hit? Uh, first of all, I'll tell you, you do have the right of way there, even though there's no painted crosswalk. And there's, um, It the sounded time. like there were some pretty long, quiet times. There were when long, the person, quiet times. When, when I, I could cross. There were many times I, I'd go now. I wanted to bring that up because someone was saying I, it's quiet now. And I'm telling you that when it's quiet, they still can sneak up on you. So this is a situation where even when it's quiet, as I said, some of them were not detected until they were about five seconds away. Some of them were detected much longer because, you know, there's always a range of. What about um, when the car came out and turned off to the left? That, yeah. that seemed like because he knew there was nothing coming also from the left because he could cross. <laughs> well, there is in one of the textbooks. It's not in the, there anymore, thankfully. There was a little rule in there that if, if you're crossing one of these and a car comes out of the street beside you from a stop sign, that means it's good to go. But let me ask you, Judy, you seem to be an intelligent person. <laughs> how much time does the car need compared to how much time you need? A lot need less. To get a lot, a lot less. less. 
a lot less. I actually, when I read that in the textbook, I bought. You have to pick some time. Well, let me stop, Judy, and say that I actually got physically sick when I saw that. And so I went out with a stopwatch and I found three places where there was uncontrolled with a stop sign beside it. And I found out how much time from when the car pulls out of the stop sign until a car comes on the street that you're crossing. And it was as little as two or three seconds later. So you would be just starting your crossing. So never, guys, if you ever heard, if you ever a mobility instructor who read that textbook and said, hey, just cross with the street, you know, with the car coming out of the stop sign from the street beside you. No. In fact, it blocks the drivers from seeing you. It keeps you from hearing them. So it is more dangerous than if you cross when quiet. So don't use that strategy. But Judy, I'm letting you know that even when it's quiet there, you can't hear some of the vehicles until they're five seconds away. So it is a situation of uncertainty. Now we're assessing how risky it is. So the first thing we're going to look at is how likely are you going to be surprised? There were a couple of times, like you said, it was plenty quiet. So there would have been a good time to cross, but you don't know if it's clear just because you can't hear anything and you don't know if it's clear. Right. So we're going to look at how likely is it that, oh, there is a car coming that you didn't hear. And I don't know if you remember the two things that make it more or less likely that there's a car coming that you didn't expect. Do you remember? I said, if there's one car a year, it's less likely. Right. This was a fairly well-traveled road. Exactly. The traffic volume. And so would you say this is highly uh, busy? Moderate, moderate, moderately busy. It's moderately busy. The warning time was the other factor. If you don't have any warning time, you're going to be more likely to surprise And this was almost enough warning. So I like to explain to people that what we're looking for, and this is not in concrete terms, but I am going to kind of try to put it concretely. We're looking for a car or a vehicle that's close enough to bother you, to be able to reach you, but not close enough for you to hear it. And so if that's a very narrow little, little window, that's about a two second window, the chances of somebody being in that little window close enough to, to bother you, but not close enough to hear is only about two seconds. So put that together. You've got moderate traffic. You've got about a two second little pocket there where they could be. I'd say it's not a huge likelihood. Not likely. It's unlikely you're going to be surprised when it's quiet there, given that it's moderate. And by the way, I always defer to the student, the the learner or whatever, especially if it's Judy, because she really knows what she's talking about. So the second thing was, if you step out and there's a car coming, let's talk about how likely is it that um, he's going to stop for you. Well, you said it was a two-lane road. I'm going to go through this list. I'm going to go through the checklist. And so we're going to talk about, first of all, there was only one lane coming. So there wasn't a multiple threat there. Right. And the speed of the vehicles, would you say they were slow, moderately, or fast? Moderate. They were moderate speed. So that means... uh, If they were slow, they'd be more likely to stop you. If they were fast, they'd be less likely. But these are moderate. Expectations of drivers. I I didn't say anything, but there was no pedestrians there and very few pedestrians while I was there. So they're not expecting drivers. Visibility. I described the situation a little bit. I don't know if you remember from the right. You said there was a little bit of a hill, but not not a bad one. Not a bad one. They could probably, st- you could still see the tops of them. And I assume right. they could see the tops of you. Now, my guide but- dog might be lower than a cane. Would that make a difference? Yes. Yeah. So, by the way, the research does not, the very little research with whether drivers stop for dogs, but the in- research indicates not so much. Um, not as much so- as canes. Not as much as canes. 
oh, they're walking their dog or, oh, the dog will take care of that person. I can just go flying by. And, I'm not surprised. Yeah. So I, we don't know what's going on in their heads, but the research is not right. indicating. So anyway, the visibility is there's a little bit of a problem. It's kind of fair. It's not really good, but it's fair. Road conditions. I don't know if you could tell it was pretty dry. It didn't sound like it was raining. Yeah. Road conditions were good. And what do you think, Judy? Could you get a group of pedestrians to come with you? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. And I just realized we have about three minutes, so I'm going to go right. quickly through there. Uh, waiting with a foot in the street, would you feel comfortable, you think? There was a little bit of an, a shoulder there. So would you be comfortable with a foot in the street? Yeah, I'd cross that street. Okay. So let's put them all together. So there was only one lane coming. The, um, the drivers are not expecting you. The visibility is a little bit of an issue. The road conditions were good. So the things in your favor where the road conditions were good, you'd be waiting with a foot in the street and it was only one lane. The things that were against you is that drivers are not expecting you. There's a little problem with visibility and the speed was kind of moderate. They were going a little bit yeah. chunk in there. So what do you think of the likelihood of, if you are surprised that he's going to hit you? Highly likely, moderately likely, or low? Moderately. Moderately likely. I think you said it was unlikely you're going to be surprised, but in that unlikely event that it's going to hit you, it's moderately likely it's going to hit you. I'm looking at my little chart here, and at, I think, about 35 miles an hour, there's a 12% chance of being killed, 39% of incapacitation, and 51 altogether of seriously injured or killed. So let me ask you, Judy, is that risk acceptable that it's unlikely you're going to be surprised but if you are it's moderately likely they're going to hit you and if they do you have a 50 50 chance of escaping without a serious injury what would you think i would do it i'm not surprised <laughs> you it. are the woman <laughs> <laughs> all right so people have a flavor and i have to cut it off judy thank you so much and i have to catch up thank with you, you later gene i think we're ready to go i just want to mention that in the event that is not acceptable we look at alternatives such as getting help, crossing somewhere else. Maybe you go Uber. Maybe you don't have to cross. If you're crossing to catch a bus, maybe catch it on your side. And then when it comes back to pick you up, you're already on it, etc. Thank you very much, Donna. And I want to thank you and Susan and Anthony for your presentation, giving us some ideas of how to better assess the risks for making crossings at non-signalized locations. For those of you who are interested in doing a little more reading on this topic, you have received some references from um, Donna, but also a EB Pedestrian Safety Handbook, Chapter 7. There's an article that Donna has written there. That article is in the process of being updated and hopefully very soon be posted. But it, the contents of the current article that is online is still relevant. And I think that would be very useful reading. Some of the research that she did refer to influenced the healing behavior of drivers. That is something that she was involved in. And also uh, our session five uh, presenter, Reverend Dr. Eugene Borkham, who will be talking about that research tomorrow. So I want to thank everyone, including Linda, for hosting our Zoom. The most important thing for those that have signed up for continuing education credit, your CEU code is 33710. And I'll repeat that, 33710. 
And again, thank you very much, everyone. And hopefully you've enjoyed yourself. Take care.